tonight we find ourselves in the three chapters of Zephaniah. While y'all are opening there, maybe thumbing past it multiple times, depending on how familiar you are with the minor prophets. Uh, does anybody want to take a stab at Zephaniah? Who, what's it about? Who is he? Sam's favorite is Habakkuk. Is anybody's favorite Zephaniah? No. You know, fun fact, I've never, ever in my life heard someone say, my favorite book of the Bible is Zephaniah. Yeah, that's right. He, he has quite a few contemporaries, or at least he's around there uh, as they're kind of doing their thing. And, uh, he, you know, you, we see in the ver- first verse of chapter one, which is typical of our minor prophets, they somehow in some way quickly identify themselves before they move into never addressing themselves again and only speaking uh, uh, what what it is that God himself is revealing through them. Uh, True mouthpieces, you know, like in the book of Jeremiah, for instance, you have this kind of personal person. In the book of Isaiah, you're looking at Isaiah, uh, though you get some of this later on in Isaiah. But in the minor prophets especially, they're short and to the point. They don't have time to speak of themselves. God has a direct message for his people in that moment, and they are proclaiming such prophecy, boom, just like that. Uh, uh, We would wonder kind of how many times he would do something like this, what wasn't recorded that he spoke, but this is what we have, and as was mentioned by uh, Larry, Zephaniah finds himself uh, in the reign of Josiah, uh, which is that righteous king. If you recall the story, maybe you don't remember Josiah the name, but perhaps you remember the finding of the book of the law. You know, it was lost, right? Uh, Nobody really knew what in the world was going on, so they didn't know how bad things had gotten. All of a sudden, somebody finds a first edition of Deuteronomy, and they say, whoa, this is crazy. You know, they're reading through Deuteronomy, and they recognize, my goodness, what have we done, and what are we doing And so this is kind of in the moment, in all likelihood, and this is because of Zephaniah's actual message that most commentators take this stance. In all likelihood, Zephaniah is proclaiming this prophecy before the reforms took place. And we see that because of some of the direct judgment on Judah and Jerusalem, uh, perhaps maybe working in tandem with the finding of the law to convict the people's hearts. What else about Zephaniah? You know, it can be sometimes unpopular for the first chapter, but you know, chapter 3 has this one little verse in it. He is mighty to save. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with kind of, uh, I almost said New Age, but it's not New Age, uh, kind of more modern evangelical music. There's this song, He is mighty to save, that has vast popularity. Uh, kind of, I mean... It's just a huge, hugely popular song. Almost everyone from my generation particularly would be able to kind of hum along to the tune as they're singing this. But in all likelihood, most of them would not maybe say that that comes from Zephaniah. Uh, they wouldn't think that. And, and to be honest with you, when we read chapter 1 tonight, we wouldn't think that either. That, uh, that, that 
a man proclaiming such judgment, uh, uh, the Lord uh, casting such judgment through this prophet in chapter 1 could be the same God who speaks such salvation in chapter 3. But we see this in the Minor Prophets. We'll see it tonight. Uh, It's something that, uh, uh, that I hope we're beginning to become familiar with. God's absolute righteousness in one hand, his character being revealed to the point where we can't but look away. Uh, We must look away because of our own sinfulness, because we recognize we're guilty. And then in the same, in the same breath, in the other hand, another facet of his character is revealed, that of ultimate mercy and patience, that of salvation this ultimate righteousness and ultimate salvation begins to play out in almost every single one of the minor prophets, Zephaniah no less. Perhaps Zephaniah most uh, intensely because of what we're going to be covering, what he covers, the day of the Lord. And so uh, kind of thinking through these things, let's pray uh, and then we'll look to see what Zephaniah has for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, Please bless us with the message of Zephaniah. Indeed, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that Jesus himself spoke to the disciples, to the apostles, and said, these things were written about me, speaking of all of that which had been revealed by the Holy Spirit, carrying along those men of old in the Old Testament. And so, Lord, help us tonight. To look to Zephaniah, these three chapters, some of which are very intense, and help us to see the good news. Please, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Zephaniah, here's what you need to remember as you open up Zephaniah. Hopefully, maybe one day, doesn't have to be tonight or tomorrow or the next day, but uh, maybe when you're going through your yearly reading plan or you come to a study of the minor prophets or something like that, here are some things to remember that might help you as you look. Into Zephaniah. Remember the big picture of judgment and salvation. That is the cosmic picture of judgment and salvation. And then likewise, remember the smaller picture of judgment and salvation. That is the personal. That is what's happening right now in the temporal, in time. What is happening now? And remember that those things reveal a righteous and a merciful God. Now, we can actually see these two remember points, you know, the cosmic and the personal and how they reveal uh, our God. We actually see it in the very first chapter, in the very first moments, just by way of structure to help you see these three chapters. Uh, uh, chapter one, super duper intense, all right? All throughout the book of Zephaniah is a theme. The theme is the day of the Lord. You know, we always say, come, Lord, come, Maranatha. You see that in Revelation. Other people say that we should have it on our lips. This shouldn't give us pause, but it should give us a bit more weight when we say, come, Lord, come. The day of the Lord is incredibly intense. It should, in some sense, bring us to our knees in righteous fear. Uh, if we, uh, for those of us who confess Jesus Christ, we have the full picture. We recognize we need not fear God in a scared sense, but my goodness, we should fear him in great reverence and awe. And this reveals that uh, as we look to see just what the day of the Lord is bringing. It's a major theme in Zephaniah. Uh, it's, it's more so here than anywhere else, especially in the prophets. This is 
This is where we see the day of the Lord being lifted up, as it were. Uh, uh, but, but that has a cosmic sense and a temporal sense, a personal sense, and we'll get to that. But let's, let's look at chapter 1 as an example to see this cosmic and personal at the same time. Here's chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Speaking of the day of the Lord. I will utterly sweep everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. It's cosmic. Uh, uh, Who's righteous before the Lord? No one is righteous. No, not one. This is that truth playing itself out. God is saying, I'm about to destroy everything. Nothing can stand before me. That's what God's saying. Uh, that's cosmic, right? Uh, he's speaking not hyperbolic. He's not, it's not like me where I was, oh, I'm the maddest I've ever been in my life. You know, am I though? You, you know, uh, we can sometimes be uh, a bit, you know, facetious. We can be hyperbolic, but the Lord's not speaking hyperbolically here. The Lord is speaking truth because God is truth. But it's cosmic, right? Let's see what happens though. As we continue reading verses four through six, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal in the name of the idolatrous priests, along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, which, by the way, is a, a, another God of an accompanying nation, those who have turned back from following the Lord who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. This is, this is more personal. This is more temporal, right? We just had cosmic everything, all right? The Lord is going to be judging on this day. And yet all of a sudden now we zoom in, particularly to a group of people that's not us, right? Uh, we're not swearing by Milcom. We have other sins, right? These people here that are being addressed are swearing by Milcom. It, it's personal, There's a smaller picture of judgment and salvation that we'll see in a moment playing itself out. So we see this cosmic and this personal. The day of the Lord, uh, it's this major theme, but it almost has these parallels. This happens elsewhere in the Bible. It it can really be a point uh, where we may need to pause because it can be confusing. Um. What's an example? You, you know, in Revelation, for instance, when is these things going to take place? Have they already taken place? Is some things happening? What was the temple? Was the destruction of the temple something that was prophesied here in Revelation? Or is this the destruction of something else? Was this King Alexander that Daniel was prophesying about? This eagle flying across all the land, conquering everything in his path? Or was this somebody else? Is this America? Are those, you know, uh, horses with scorpion tails, Apache helicopters? Or was that something else? Was it something previous? Or is it something to come? Which is it? Right? These things happen. Timing gets to us because we want to know when and we want to know at what time these things will take place. But the timing is in the Lord's hands, right? What did Jesus himself say? The Lord knows. <laughs> what? You are the Lord. You know, what do you mean? You know, hey, whoa, what mystery is there? And if you recall, the second one we ever did, Genesis, we did first, I think. Then Revelation. If you recall in Revelation, 
when we were talking. In reality, what we're seeing are things beginning to play out in these parallels. It's both and. It's not either or. The day of the Lord is coming for Judah and the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. That day is coming and it is called the day of the Lord. But there is something much more cosmic happening. Uh, This personal, this temporal destruction of Judah and Jerusalem is typical. It's a type of that cosmic, perhaps we could say capital D, day of the Lord, which is to come. When the Son of Man is to come on the clouds, right? This is what Jesus himself said, talking about a prophecy in Daniel. There are these parallel realities happening, these both and truths, not either or truths to the day of the Lord. And this day of the Lord, by the way, keeps popping up, I said. Here's a great example of what I mean by that in Zephaniah. This is chapter 1, verses 14. Um, Let's just read through, let's read through 16. Speaking of the day, listen Listen for the word day. Uh, It becomes quite obvious what's happening. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements let's keep going 17 and 18 i will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the lord their blood shall be poured out like dust their flesh like dung neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the lord in the fire of his jealousy all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth there's a finality to it. There's an intensity to it. What's he talking about? Is he talking about Judah? Jerusalem? Is he talking about Assyria? What's he talking about? Do you think so? Okay. Oh, you're right. Maybe. It's also the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah. You're right. Oh, yeah, you're right. But it's also the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. Yeah, it's a both and. Uh, it, it's, it's happening and it's very applicable in the moment, in the temporal. Uh, a better way to say it is, you know, he could be prophesying to Centennial right now. Uh, not that we're, I hope, uh, making false prayers unto the Lord and really praying to another God or something like that. But, you know, we could very easily find ourselves in a moment where we are being temporally judged before the Lord. And yet he could be speaking, as it were, of a greater judgment to come. He's revealing something much more than just Jerusalem in uh, the mid-600s B.C. Why would we be reading about it uh, if it was just Jerusalem, right? You're right, Sam. It's much more than that. There's something much greater. There's the cosmic reality that's playing out, that true second coming of Jesus Christ. But uh, we see this kind of playing out more and more as we kind of like you said, Sam, are zooming out. We're, we're kind of recognizing, wait a second, something more is happening here. Uh, but we also find ourselves zooming in and seeing some other realities. There's a judgment day coming in time for God's enemies, which include his own people who are opposing him. That's, that's the big, big hang-up for us, right? 
We love God judging his enemies. And it feels so good, right? Well, thankfully, the Lord is working on our behalf. When in reality, the hang-up comes when the judgment is then turned on us. You know, it's like I was preaching on this last Sunday. You know, we always love to look at that speck in our brother's eyes and forget that big old log hanging out of our own, you know. And then we realize it when the light's turned on to us and we think, oh, no, you know, what have I done? Or that's what I hope our response would be. I hope that it wouldn't be a further opposition unto the Lord, a turning away, even as the Lord turns away. So uh, we see this in chapter uh, 2 through chapter 3, verse 8-ish. This this reality that, uh, that this cosmic... This cosmic day of the Lord is happening, but there's real temporal, real in-time application for his people. Uh, and a couple key words begin to show themselves. Uh, remnant, for instance. Are y'all familiar with the remnant terminology of the Old Testament? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, God, God has a people, right? His people that he has identified with. We've actually talked about this in previous, uh, in previous lessons. And so this people that has kind of started, you know, if you will, formally with the call of Abraham and then kind of maybe m- more formally or maybe uh, uh, alongside formally with the 12 tribes, right? All, all of these moments where God is marking his people. Uh, circumcision, you know, we were uh, meeting about uh, Becca. Uh, Slater's baptism, the little one, right? Why do we baptize babies? It's because we see in the fullness of the Bible, not only adults being baptized because they have believed and entered into the covenant, we realize that God is marking a people as his people, including the babies who were circumcised on the eighth day, which is why we baptize our children. We recognize God's blessing upon them, but there's further responsibility to God's people, a responsibility of faithfulness. Those parents are to raise that that child in the Lord. Uh, That child has been uniquely offered opportunity to hear the gospel. And with the free offer of the gospel, those who hear, we pray, believe, and we walk in faith because that is one of God's own. But we see here, sin can muddy the waters. We see that. And so God begins to reveal this remnant terminology. There are those who would say they are my people. But they do not act like my people. You know, this coming Sunday, I'll be preaching, uh, finishing out Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, which is like Sermon on the Mount. What does he say? There are many who say, Lord, Lord. And I will say to them, I never knew you. There are people who act like they believe. This is a big deal in the South, right? Uh, We have a lot of people who just come to church, maybe not at Centennial as much, but we have a lot of people in the South as a culture who go to church as a culture thing. If, if you're unaware of it, I'm glad and I'm also sad that I've got to be the one to tell you that there are people who just don't care. They just come because it's what you do. Ah, it should wrench our guts. And this is what's happening here in Zephaniah. But there's a remnant, a remnant that truly believes. And we see that begin to play itself out. One way is uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, the remnant's ad- uh, addressed directly. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom. The Ammonites, these are all in- enemies of uh, Judah, by the way. The Ammonites, like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. Here it comes. The remnant of my people shall plunder them. And the survivors of my nation shall possess them. There it is, Sam. Uh, we got chapter 1 where you see this uh, utter devastation. Everything's being destroyed. Not here. 
only God's enemies. There's a remnant that's preserved. How can that be? How can chapter 1 and chapter 2 jive? That's the question that we should be asking ourselves. It has a lot to do with repentance, which we also see uh, in this kind of middle section of chapter 2 through chapter the beginning verses of chapter 3. A good point to see this at as we're looking at this kind of temporal judgment and forgiveness uh, it is a it, it's a, a perhaps moment. Are you all familiar with the perhapses of Scripture? You know, uh, uh, um, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Are you familiar with the really cool story? Jonathan being Saul's son, King Saul, the first anointed king uh, uh, of the United Israel. Well, his son, Jonathan, a renowned warrior in his own right, uh, was looking and he saw some enemies of the Lord. And he said to his armor bearer, hey, let's go climb up there. See if we can't do battle with them. Perhaps the Lord will deliver them into our hands. Perhaps. And then what happened? I mean, it's like a movie, right? They climb this cliff. The Philistines are like kind of making fun of like, come up here. Yeah, come up here. They get up there and they just waylaced this company of enemies, right? And they're, I mean, it's like the armor bearer and Jonathan, you know, I mean, it's epic, epic story. Perhaps the Lord will deliver us. Uh, it just so happens, you know, Ruth went down to the fields, was gleaning, right? Picking and eating. She's very poor, trying to gather some for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And it just so happened that it was Boaz's field. It just so happened Boaz was walking by and said, who is that? Is that a Moabites who's gleaning from our field like a Jew? I said, yeah, that's Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law. It just so happened, right? Uh, There are these moments in Scripture where uh, it's very obvious that the prophet uh, who's writing that that God is revealing something through these perhapses, these just-so-happens, where you read it and you say, no, that that actually, that did happen, you know, it was planned, right, Lord? You know, it's, it's this very obvious moment. Uh, Zechariah, uh, I mean, Zephaniah, rather, chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Here it comes. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Perhaps. You know, whoa, wait. You know, so we're seeking these things, but are you saying it's going to, you know, are you saying we are going to be hidden or are you saying we're not going to be hidden? By the way, Zephaniah's name, Yahweh, that is the Jehovah, you know, sometimes we say in English, his personal name, Yahweh has hidden. That's Zephaniah's name. Yahweh has hidden. Perhaps the Lord will hide you on the day of the Lord. In other words, perhaps you will be delivered from such intense judgment on that cosmic scale. How could these things be? As we see these Assyrian armies, as we see these Babylonians, as we see all of this stuff happening in time, what, you know, how are we going to be delivered from this? There's no way. And yet a remnant came back, right? How are we going to be delivered from this, right? The, the vertical rather than the horizontal judge. How are we going to be delivered? Perhaps the Lord will hide you. He himself, perhaps, will hide you as you seek these things. That's where we're going. That's, that's where we're funneling as, as we're making a beeline to the end of Zephaniah's message. We're, we're looking at this big picture of judgment. We're looking at this little picture of judgment. And we're thinking there's no way this can end well. But what happens? A righteous God is revealed. A salvation God is revealed. And it's wonderful, you know, because God's character of mercy and patience begins to bear itself out at the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, where those most beautiful verses can begin 
to be seen. Uh, let's look at the end of chapter, th- or the beginning rather of chapter three, uh, verse five, to kind of start to see this transition. It becomes quite obvious. The Lord within her is righteous, speaking uh, of, of the people of God, speaking of Judah and Jerusalem. The Lord within her is righteousness. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. So we're beginning to see God's righteous character bear itself out, right? Um, there's a book that I got for the staff. It's a devotional. It's called New Morning Mercies. It's a wonderful devotional. Y'all need to get it if you don't have it. It's a great one. If you like devotionals, get it. New Morning Mercies. This is New Morning Righteousness. New Morning Justice. We don't like that as well. It doesn't sound as good, right? New Morning Mercies. Oh, yes, Lord, shed upon me your New Morning Mercies. But we usually don't say shed upon me your New Morning Justice, Lord. Be just unto me. But it has the same connotation. It has the same connotation because what do we see? Where do we see this going? Chapter 3, verse 7. I said, surely you will fear me. I said this. this. Listen, this is the Lord. I said, surely. God's saying, come on, y'all. Right? Come on. You remember Amos? I hope you remember Amos. What was that? Shaking him. Remember. Remember. Remember me. Remember your God. That was one of the key themes of Amos. Look here in Zephaniah. What does God say? Surely. Surely you will fear me. Surely you will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Over and over, we begin to see God's faithfulness and his people's unfaithfulness. Where our faith wavers, God's faith does not waver it is firmly planted and will not be moved his word is unchangeable and what does he say we see it at the end of chapter three and boy oh boy is it beautiful uh we see this incredible transition if you look at your solid rock verses right on the handy dandy handout you've got these kind of splattering nothing from chapter one right Though we could put some things because God's righteousness is utterly revealed. Uh, So you're thinking, man, okay, chapter one was tough. Okay, okay, let's look at chapter two. You're starting to see some things, but but you're starting to wonder, man, I I don't know if anybody's kind of listening. I don't know if anybody's doing this. We're all going to be judged. Surely you'll fear me, but no one's fearing him. What, What do we do? Well, then all of a sudden, if you look on this, you get chapter three, verse nine. And from here on out, I actually couldn't even skip a single verse, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, all the way through verse 20. Every single verse is full to the brim and running over, seeping out of the pores, as it were, the salvation of God for his people. It, the cup overfloweth and there is no way to put it back in because the river of life has started and it's going and it's increasing. And it, it builds momentum and it builds and it builds and it builds until there's white water rushing. And you can't believe your eyes because you say, look where we were and look where we are now. How? But by the grace and mercy of God. It's wonderful. Verse 9 of chapter 3. For, that, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples. Who will? God will. 
to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, that is Egypt, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the, that day. Remember, it, that's that same day that he was going to wipe everything out. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and they shall speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue for they shall graze and lie down and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. If that's not the gospel, I don't know what it is. God saves. God is the one who does it. We cannot do it on our own. And what do we see here? The Lord himself has taken away the judgments against you. He even has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. What do we say in our Lord's Prayer every Sunday? Deliver us, O Lord, from evil. Right? We pray that. I hope we pray it for real because evil is real. What do we see here? You shall never again fear evil. There'd be no need to pray against it. It's not there. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those. Listen to the I wills from 18, 19, and 20. We've seen this before in the prophets. God, he just gets on this run and he just keeps going with this wonderful and most beautiful list. Just let the I wills sink in for a moment. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. And at that time, when I gather you together for, I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. That's the last verse. I will restore your fortunes. What? We started with the Lord wiping everything out. And we ended with the Lord restoring all fortune for those who are believing in him. What mercy and grace. Because it can't happen any other way. You know, we can't get, this is the point. This is the remembers. This is the theme. God is preparing his people for a climactic day of judgment and salvation. Look at the remembers. There's this cosmic judgment and salvation. There's this personal or temporal judgment and salvation. And all of it is revealing a righteous and a merciful God. You don't get God uh, uh, just piecemeal. You can't pick and choose God. God is God. But what do you see? You see an ultimately righteous God, one who no one can stand in the presence of, who by his very grace and mercy allows you to stand in his presence through the sacrifice of his own son. It's incredible, and it's all here. Uh, You know, we don't see Jesus' name particularly, but this cannot happen except by Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. What does he say? God will remove all your judgments. What does Jesus do? Jesus removes 
all judgment from you. How? Because he took it on himself. It's the gospel. We see it here. We can't get from chapter 1 to chapter 3 without this reality that God saves. It is a moment of fresh air that blows across our face in the Columbia 105 degree summer when we just wish it was cold air. It's that moment. It's like you're at the beach, but you're in Columbia. It never happens, right? It has to be supernatural. That's Jesus. That's the moment where you recognize this just can't happen, but it is. It must be God. That's what Zephaniah is seeking to reveal to his people. You know, they're praying to Milcom. They're sacrificing their children. Judgment's bearing down upon them from all these different empires. It's heinous. It's crazy. But reform is coming. Not enough. They'll be sent to Babylon. We'll see all of this. They're going to come back. But in all of it, God is there. And God is saying, I will destroy everything except for my people. And I will save my people. Righteousness, mercy, God. In chapter 2. Yes. The perhaps. Yes. That's a little troubling. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, troubling, you know, the moment, the moment when we see perhapses and we see it just so happens, it's uh, our predilection is to look at that and say, oh, you're saying that God's going to be wishy-washy on this. And that, I think, is good because when we read chapter 2, verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. You know, we could seek humility and we could seek righteousness all we want. Unless God is the one saving, it's always going to be a perhaps. Because, you know, we can try and try and try, as it were, to, to win God's favor, and we will always fail. Uh, Because his righteousness is perfect and we're not. And so I I think in that sense, if we're looking at it, maybe sometimes I say kind of like from the ground up, you know, instead of looking as sometimes we see kind of from the top down where God's kind of if we're, you know, looking at that word thinking, whoa, how could we're going to do this, but it's not certain. You know, there's a perhaps that that's right. I think that the Lord would probably say you are right, dear sister. Hold, hold on to the perhaps, and while you're doing that, lean much more on to Jesus Christ, you know. Yeah. Other questions? Got a few minutes. I guess that one of the things is that we have to be uh, relying on God's word. God said, said that he's going to save, and he will. Mm-hmm. And we can rest assured that that's what he's going to do, and not on any of our merits. That's right. Whether we believe or accept or whatever, it's not based on our merits or what we can muster up. It's, we have to rely on him. That's right. And, and that's, so hard. that's so hard for our sinful minds to grasp, right? That, that's, what, that's one of the biggest hurdles to putting away the old man, the old woman, right, and taking on that new flesh, that new humanity, that new birth, is because we always want to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, it's built into our culture because it's built into our very corrupted uh, selves. You know, as we, as we want to be the ones who can do it. If only we could just try harder. You know, we can do this, but, but we can't. And so we see God giving us his word. I, I will save you. 
I will remove this from you. And you know, uh, speaking of his word, a Christian brother of mine's teaching on Hebrews tonight, uh, particularly a piece of Hebrews where, uh, you know, in the beginning you're seeing kind of all these different things. But one thing that happens in Hebrews is that uh, the author reveals something. He says, listen, God could just speak and he's God so you could believe him, right? He, he doesn't need to do anything else. But what does he do? He adds a promise on top of his word. So not only does he say, I will save you, he says, I promise I will save you on penalty of myself dying. You know, God can't die, right? Because he's God. And so what we have is an ultimate reality of salvation, an even further assurance. You know, God's word, it, it heaps and it stacks upon itself until it's just beautiful. Anything else? Zephaniah, who would have known? Go ahead. Yeah, even when we look at the judgments of God, sometimes, well, it's not sometimes. I'm, I'm convinced that, that I or that we have no concept of what sin is. Speaking of the depth of it, you know, of the pervasiveness is what you're impl- kind of speaking how to. How sin is and, and yeah. how sometimes we look at it in a very light tone. That's right. God looks at it differently. That's right. Cost us forgive me of my sin. That's right. And sometimes we take it too lightly, I think. Not yeah. that we should feel you know, uh, overwhelmed by that yeah. concept, but just not knowing the weight of what sin is yeah. and what it does and how God looks at it. That's right. J.C. Ryle, this wonderful author, wrote this book called uh, Holiness. It's talking about holiness. And in it, uh, he kind of addresses this very issue where uh, he speaks in it. You know, I'll summarize, you know, this is kind of at length, but, you know, he says something along the lines of the holier you get, the more righteous you get, you actually realize the larger sinner you are. You know, the chasm of your own sin begins to open up, but that only reveals the bigger bridge that God has built through Christ. You know, you're, you just, the more righteous you, you see yourself as, you realize, Whoa, I'm sinning every single moment. You know, I can't get away from my own sin, right? But we can't stop there, just like you said. You know, we, we, if we stop there, we fall into sinful despair, <laughs> which, you know, then you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sinning because I'm seeing my own sin too much. You know, and you, you spiral, right? But you, then you, you, you avert again and you look back to the Lord who saves and you say, no, it is God who saves. It is God who saves, you know. Uh, but, yeah, that's just a, it's a, it's an interesting thing to think about. The holier you are is, is actually a realization of how much more sin there is. Deep stuff. All right, let, let me pray. If y'all have more questions, you can come up to me. After. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Indeed, thank you for Zephaniah. These three chapters, Lord, that we see here, the revelation of the day of the Lord. The coming, as we would say, of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we indeed would be those who seek after righteousness, who seek after humility, who seek after you. But Lord, that we would remember we are those seeking who have already been sought. Lord, you have come after us. You have saved us. You have removed from us all sin through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we praise you for it. We praise you tonight. We praise you tomorrow. We will, Lord willing. Praise you this coming Sunday. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.